welcome back to Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with Vic. Hello. And Will. Howdy. And uh, we are going to be your guides through the episode today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pack a lunch. Pack a lunch. We'll uh, we'll keep it short and brief. Uh, shorter yeah, and briefer. Yeah, briefer and shorter as we do. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a scuttlebutt episode. We're going to talk about some topics affecting Marines. Get in front of the scuttlebutt. Get in front of the scuttlebutt. Actually, we're probably, and this one I think we're actually going to make it work. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, well, yeah. What's stupid is we don't have our scuttle. We need a real scuttlebutt in the office. That'd be cool. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I just learned. You just learned. You learned me a little. Something oh, you today. didn't know. Have you been doing this podcast for ten I episodes know. I now? I just Vic? thought it was something that Marines said. No. When you have a okay. Rumor. So a scuttlebutt, for those who don't know, is the water cask on a ship. Um. So if you've looked at our logo, you see that it's a cask that's a microphone, and that cask is kind of representing the. I thought uh, it was like a keg, like an old-timey keg. I mean, casking kegs are basically yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, you have a water <laughs> ration and a, a rum yeah, ration, yeah. right, on ships? Yeah, so, you, so, and then the way that I understand it is that the scuttlebutt is like the water cooler talk because you're standing around the scuttlebutt on a boat. You don't stand around a water cooler yeah. on a boat. And that goes back to the days when uh, there's three cups on a boat. And you needed to get a ration of water, you would die of dehydration and all sorts of other nastiness. So and you get your rum, so yeah. you don't get uh, what was it um, scurvy? Yeah, right? you had to drink. Well, rum sometimes to kill the scurvy. a lot of times you had to mix the two in a grog. Yeah. So or they're just you know alcohol. Or they're right? just yeah. drunks. Yeah, but yeah. I mean the Marine Corps did start in a, in a bar, right? Yeah. Or has it? So like ten or eleven sailors and other shipborne passengers would be sitting around the scuttlebutt, waiting for their turn to drink some water, talk about what's going on. Yeah. So that is the scuttlebutt. Is the water cooler talk? Is the scuttlebutt of the boat? So like. Here we are. There it is. So this is us, the scuttlebutt. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been nice to know in the trailer? <laughs> 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 well, if anything, we are on time. Yeah. We just may not be. All on right. Time. <laughs> well, we've gotten a lot of new listeners recently. So thank you, by the way. Yes. We really appreciate all you guys' support. Um, and yeah. Uh, I was being thinking. A part of this. I was thinking if we had a hundred listeners by the end of the year, I was going to be through the moon. Through the roof, into the moon. And we are going to shatter that, I believe, because we already have. Yeah. So, everybody who's listening, we appreciate you. Hopefully this episode doesn't get people jumping shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, our last Scuttlebutt-ish episode without the interview has been our most listened to episode. Yeah. Force Design 2030. Well, because we had the heavy hitters. Yeah. And if we want to talk about heavy. the comments on that, they fall into two categories. People who didn't listen to the episode and people who did. Isn't that life? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and it's very hard. obvious because <laughs> the people who didn't listen to the episode, you can tell because they just get on and they're like, um, General Berger needs to be carried in front of a military tribunal. And yeah, yeah. Fill uh, in the blank. Yeah. That's just social media. Like the amount of times that is just people yeah. share articles like, did you read this or did you just yeah. you know, read the headline? And then there's a couple people who get on there and speak very eloquently. And um, I wish there was more of you. As long as they're not coming from, like, an Eastern European troll farm, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who, I mean, I don't know how to – I know that there's uh, so much of that going on. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to tell who's who, though, I guess. I guess the trollier you are, the more likely <laughs> the you are to be uh, from uh, Romania or something. So, but, yeah, so moving into the episode here, I think what's on 
a lot of the news outlets is the uh, vaccination deadline. Yeah. Um, That's not a lightning rod of a topic in any stretch of the imagination so right now. So we're here it? for the clicks, Vic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here we go. Here come the comments. The clicks. So, and if we get comments on this, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't great. I don't know how to Constructive op- comments. opine on this. So uh, they're saying that because the Marines only, only. Well, let's just start. Yeah, let's start with what we not. Where's the Marine Corps at right now? 94%, 94% vaccination rate. Yeah. As of which seems very good, yeah, which seems great because I think that the countrywide vaccination rate is like sixty percent. Yeah, fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Like, yeah, for, for both. Yeah, I think for single dose folks, it's in the seventies or eighties. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I don't. I think that for Marines, we're only talk, worried about one dose at this point too. So, but it's still a significantly. Yeah, like you said, higher. If we're talking what? Yeah, hundred eighty. 180,000 Marines-ish, 178,000, I can't remember what the number is. So I don't know if that's... tens of thousands left. Yeah, so less than 20, right? Yeah. I could do math. Hey, I've got a phone with a calculator on it. Um, stand by. Let's talk. <laughs> well, so I guess um, to this point, I guess uh, anecdotally, I remember that we had a same kind, a, diff- a very similar sort of churn um, when we were going into Iraq uh, for OIF-1, you know, we we were trying to prevent or give people the ability to survive through uh, a hostile environment. So we were getting uh, smallpox and we were getting anthrax. And people, Marines, were freaking out about this anthrax vaccination to the point where we were no kidding, like, discharging marines like you have to this date to be at this stage and because anthrax was six dose you had to take, take it six times and then the booster was a regular thing because yeah you, know, you just have it was to either that or the graft in. right there was a graft you could get but i don't think the marines were pushing that yeah yeah that's so so, so smallpox is a one-time thing they hit you like 10 times in a spot it gets a scab you got to cover it up that's actually when it's like an active culture so you can't like touch it <laughs> and then like literally the scab would fall off you had to like wrap it in a cellophane and like take it to hazmat to throw it out because it's oh. like an active smallpox culture or whatever and then you leave a little scar or whatnot yeah the anthrax though man that thing was like it was like dumping cement into your arm I thought, you know, I was like, what, 25 or 26 at the time. I thought I was just, you know, indestructible. So I got my anthrax. Like, that's not so bad. I went and PT'd and did, like, an upper body workout. And, like, I couldn't move my arm the next day. <laughs> it was just, like, it was excruciating. And so, yeah, you had to get it, like, I think the first one. And then the next one you get it, like, is it like a week or a month later. And then it's humid. So, it, you know, it. So I ended up having to get, I think my final dose was like in country or whatever. But And they had like a log book of when you're supposed to, you know, when you had it. But, yeah, Marines were just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting anthrax. I'm not getting anthrax. And, like, they were just like, all right, here's your DD-214, sucker. Thanks yeah. for coming out. And, like, they are just discharging Marines. And so – and the thing is that as regardless of, like, your political affiliation or your religious um, – maybe apprehensions or whatever your thing about it is it's a lawful order mm-hmm. and so that's our job is you gotta to maintain the fighting force yeah, yeah. and i mean if, how would you want to you know and especially like if you're getting on ship yeah that's dude those like if you're hot racking and you're like breathing into the same i pillows, mean for an amtrak right? like, man you go from <laughs> an amtrak which is a closed environment into a well deck and onto a ship it's like and then you're like you know for your troop birthing it's like three high racks and for the uh officer uh 
birthing. It's two high racks. I mean, you're literally living on top of each other, man. Like, just got to think about it. And, and so, you, like, we get the flu shot every year. Mm-hmm. That's also mandatory. Like, there are things we do to keep the force sustained and healthy and ready to go. Uh, and so just think of it in, the, in those terms. Like, you, it's a lawful order, and you're already doing it for other things. So, like, why draw a line yeah. in the sand here? Uh, definitely other, like, especially in my, my – uh, all my family members who've been in the military, you know, they might have, like, especially the older ones, I mean, like, you know, the shots that they've gotten that have been, like, revoked since then. And I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. to be quite honest, like, when my first son was born, I'm like, dude, ten fingers, ten toes win. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we got it. All that we concoction in my body yeah, did not ruin it. my spawn. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think the metal te- medical technology has gotten better since, you know, the 60s, yeah. 70s, and 80s. So look at it. Look at the bright side. You're at the pinnacle of a... Uh, of American yeah. medical health. Well, I mean, and then you you know if you go depending on where you go to in in the uh, on deployment, like you got to start taking the malaria meds. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, OIF one was just it was more of a medex than it was a field ex. <laughs> man, you just like pin cushion here, take this pill there. Yeah, and especially like mm, if the Marines end up in Africa. Speaking of malaria, sometime in the near future. It's going to be worse than... Yeah, I mean, same as Afghanistan. Yeah. Gonna... It's going to be worse than a, yeah. one or two jabs of uh, mRNA yeah. vaccination. Chesty Puller probably had to take some shots and pills, so if he could do it, you can too. Chesty Puller well, <laughs> took his shots to and then he took point, his bourbon. And, and, as a historian, <laughs> please back me up on this. Uh, um, I mean, when you look at uh, a lot of the uh, casualty rates... Where they were like losing, like they were at a force structure that was unsustainable. Most of that was from sicknesses, right? Yeah. So actually, like a funny anecdote. My my grandmother, uh, one of her uncles or uh, cousins was in World War II as a Marine. He, I think he was wounded on Iwo Jima or one of those islands. Uh, comes back and they have like a party and there's drinking and eating and then all of uh, him and his marine friends start vomiting and my grandma always thought oh it's because they're hammered like well yes but also because <laughs> they all that? they all had malaria oh oh man so it, it like so especially you know like when when you when you come off uh, off of that situation it hits you hard yeah 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 yeah, yeah and there's oh gosh and then you have to also get worry about like the uh, the little insects and things they got treatments for those. Yeah, I mean, know, it's, just, it's just a readiness issue. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nothing will deplete your force faster than illness, especially because it's communal living. I mean, that thing's it's going to spread like wildfire. Anyway, I think the only reason why we're mad about ninety four percent is because it's last out of the yeah, armed of forces. course. Yeah. yeah, if everybody else in the eighties um, would be like, <laughs> yeah, uh, because ninety four percent seems like a lot of I, that's that's one hundred seventy nine thousand marines, uh, one hundred sixty nine thousand marines. I used the calculator. (laughs) 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 Um, I thought you did all that in your head. Yeah, math. Yeah, that's one of those things that you'd probably be the best at in the room here because, like, we got a historian. I'm a creative writing guy. You're a creative writing guy. (laughs) But the point is you spent time measuring distances out there in your Amtrak days. Yeah, yeah, I guess that was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. It's definitely a perishable. If I if I ever had it, it was definitely a perishable <laughs> skill. There's always somebody nearby who could help, right? Yeah, but it's more like was that tracer burnout? So that's got to be like three thousand, <laughs> three thousand meters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that rather than you know being mad about ninety four percent, people should just be like, that is a lot of damn marines who are ready to go. Yeah, take care and of just business. Just understand, and we talk. We were talking earlier, like history, 
You you say it because it was your it was your phrase. It was really great. Oh, uh, history often uh, doesn't repeat itself, but often rhymes. Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah. Tune in that. next week for that one because yeah, we recorded these out of order. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it's, it's a really good statement because you know again like however many years ago we had the same issue mm-hmm. and same apprehensions and it's it's a career killer, man. Like yeah. So I, you know, if you want to, if you want to hang your hat on that hook, I advise against it. Are you guys ready for the greatest segue we've ever had on this show? Roll Are we going to get on segways? Speaking, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that company still exists. Um, speaking of history rhyming, we have another. We're in the middle of, middle of another budget issue with Congress. <laughs> oh boy! Um, and that just. It just comes up every what two years now. It's like it's more and more often. And well, yeah, I mean, and so, and this is where like, when it comes to like we like talk about numbers, like pfft, I'm out. But the way I understand it is, we haven't had a budget like a no kidding like mm-hmm. budget since like 2008. Yeah, I think that. And we've yeah. been living off of these continuing resolutions every year. Ever since the bailouts, I think. Have we ever? Had, I don't. God, I think even the bailouts were. After our last budget, I think that they ended the budget era okay. of America, which lasted two hundred years. Yeah, and so <laughs> you know, obviously, you, you, it bleeds over like debt ceilings mm-hmm. and uh, you know spending issues and blo- all these other things. And then you just, and you, you know, we talked, we had acquisition specialists in here, um, uh, Colonel Howe, and that money matters because it's how you fund your programs mm-hmm. and those things are projected out not just every year but i mean five years ten years depending on length of the program sustaining these programs and so as a, from a program manager standpoint every time we get to this point where it's like oh the government's going to shut down that matters yeah. man because as soon as the government shuts down that's that ends the spending for that program if people start going home um, and, you know, just anecdotally, I was um, inspector instructor for uh, fourth tracks unit down in Jacksonville, Florida in, oh, whenever, was it 10? Anyways, oh, 10. That's a great year. I, yeah, I was there from 8 to uh, 11, but I think in 10 we actually had a no-kidding government shutdown. And, like, it always happens on a Friday. And so it was on a drill weekend, and so we're like, what do we do? And the guidance came down from higher, like, have them come in. We'll keep our fingers crossed that they come up with something by, you know, 11.59. So have them bed down, have them get ready. But come 12.01, if we don't have a continuing resolution, they got to go home. Because, one, they're not getting paid, so this drill doesn't count. Two, their their, uh, uh, medical and dental goes away. So if they get hurt... They're they're the ones gonna be liable. We're no longer liable for these guys. We can't cover these sorts of things because we don't have a budget. It was gnarly. So yeah, I mean, the government shut down at eleven fifty nine, and by twelve oh one, we were shaking guys off the rack like, "Hey, dude, I'll let you sleep, but you gotta go home. Like you ain't gotta go. You ain't gotta go home, but you gotta get out of here." Yeah. And so yeah, we were just done with drill. Yeah, uh, I think Saturday morning. I think there was one in 2013 when I was in ROTC my freshman year of college, and like we go we go to class and there are uh, our cadre just doesn't show up. He's like <laughs> he's like I'm not getting paid for this. I'm out, boys. Like, oh yeah, when I was in college, I guess it was a California budget issue, not a national budget issue. But uh, they had to they furloughed all the teachers. So like 
we had days circled where we just didn't have class. Like, eh, just that day doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and so you went and did your homework then, right? You got caught up? Yeah, I did my homework. I went to AMPM and I caught up on my study supplies and <laughs> and then I went back to the room. Your, your liquid intelligence. Yeah, my liquid intelligence. And um, I worked on that GPA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, without as good of a segue this time. Um, so for those who don't know, the Marine Corps Association is trying to support Marines professional development and one of the ways that we do that is through battle study packages yeah and we have i think we have like 20 up on our website right we now. got a bunch uh, almost and within every any region across the globe uh we have something there and so the impetus behind this was is that you have you know obviously marines stationed globally and they're looking for pme opportunities and one of them is, hey, let's go out and not just walk the ground of these battlefields, these old battlefields, but let's like learn about them. Let's get the context, yada yada. Where the blue arrows, the red arrows, all this really cool stuff. And so, next thing you know, like we're hanging this stuff on the website, which you can check out on mm. the Marine Corps Association website. Professional um, development. development, battle study packages, and so that way commanders can just plug and play. If they're in the area or if they have a Marine Station there, they want to go do a battle study package. There's all kinds of resources there to help you learn, do PME, all this good stuff. And then um, William just worked on a new one for Kansas? No, it's in uh, – I believe it's uh, uh, Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma. The, uh, so, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> – That's what I said, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right what I said. Oklahoma. <laughs> the, the old west. Yeah. <laughs> no, so uh, – for those who have actually uh, looked at our uh, battle study packages, most of them are written either by myself uh, or Colonel Woodbridge, and I think uh, Vic helped with the last one. And essentially, what we try to do is is quickly disseminate what uh, strategic impacts, tactical importance, and then just like a quick, just general overview of what happens. The idea is like, what are the most important lessons you can gather from uh, insert battle? So the one we actually recently just did, uh, we w- we were actually asked to write was for. The Battle of Washita, and for uh, those who are uh, um, don't quite know what that is, it was occurred during the Indian Wars, and it's highly cro- uh, controversial. There's a lot of people, historians out there, who would argue if it was a battle at all, and instead just a, a massacre. Um, and it really depends on who you ask and what resources you look at. So, so obviously a very controversial issue, especially is the Indian Wars and American expansionism as a whole. Which is a controversial time period. Very controversial time period, and there's a, there's a lot of different perspectives and that you need to consider. So when doing this, we kind of had to get it out in the open, you know, get acknowledge this is going to be different upon who you, who you ask. And we have we, uh, me, Vic, and uh, Colonel Woodbridge got together like a litany of resources that – have multiple perspectives so that if you want to research this, this further, you have those opportunities yourself, which is important yeah. because, I mean, you can only get so much from, from three paragraphs on the internet. So uh, what we did is, especially for the Battle of Washita, we were like, okay, understanding you know that to some this may be considered a massacre, but what can our troops or soldiers, Marines uh, today learn from this? And so we had to you know, look, go through history and, 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 look, and look through the events of the Battle of Washington and, and that whole campaign to determine, okay, what are the applicable lessons? And for this one, essentially, you know, uh, the, if for, uh, this has not been published yet. Hopefully it will come on uh, pretty very soon. 
but the idea of the uh, American cavalry using the winter to uh, hinder the mobility of the Indians who are, whose ponies were able to outmaneuver the U.S. cavalry regularly and, and beat them tactically, to, to negate that advantage and whose uh, the American cavalry, their horses, could withstand the winter temperatures in the environment. So try to attack essentially the Indians when, th when they're at their weakest. And that's, uh, that was sort of the big, the big thing I wanted to hone was essentially trying to uh, almost break the rules uh, of warfare at the time because it's very difficult to fight in winter on the Western Plains. Your lines of communication are non-existent or you have to make them yourself or they're very limited. So to, to, to break the rule that you are supposed to be immobile during winter to attack the enemy when they least expect it was, yeah. was I guess, the big takeaway we tried to get away from that particular battle study. Yeah, and, and, and you know if you were to take this into – uh, a modern day context, which I think is, and, and when we had talked about doing this thing, we, I think we we'd all sort of we had talked about well maybe you know we look at this thing just from the tactical standpoint, like don't bring in the historical context or let's, um, I, I think we all just sort of agree like well let's lean into this thing, uh, even let's let's talk about the 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 stickier aspects of it because the context is important, especially if you're trying to. All right, well, what does it mean for today's Marines? To ignore the context of the battle and of the era, you're going to miss its applicability. And so I, I think about, like, uh, for example, we were uh, – as we moved into you know, Afghanistan in particular where um, fighting styles sort of go through this continuum of the antiquated and then the highly modern um, and – one of the things that we had to get – we had to come to understand was that the, for the Afghans, they had seasons, fighting seasons. And then they would just stop because then they would go back and either like plant poppy or the weather was just too – the weather was arduous to operate in. And so they would, when the weather would get good in fall and spring mainly, those were the fighting seasons. And it wasn't called a fighting season just because it was like arbitrarily pick up. Like it was centered around weather. And so we uh, got to, had to understand that. And so I think as you're – like you were mentioning, when you look at the context of this thing and then you look at what did each side do as they did their own MET-TC analysis – and I think that's where we then find value in even, you know, as looking at these things as much as objective as we can while still understanding the, the sort it's of interesting. context. It's interesting that you can pull uh, contemporary uh, lessons from Oklahoma, notoriously flat, and apply it to Afghanistan, notoriously alpine. In the north. Yeah. In the south. I mean, Helmand Province, man, is... It's pretty flat, is it? Yeah, and Oklahoma also has. Like, if if you look at the battle study, there's it's very hilly yeah. terrain, and there's there is some um some 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 rough features. It's not flat, but also another thing to look at it also is what what um was done well in those incidents, but also the, these uh, battle studies provide an opportunity of what was done poorly. So you can argue that you know. In, in in the Battle of Washington occurred several years before the Battle of Little Bighorns. So you could argue, you know, in the act of you know yeah. destroying a village, taking fifty three women and children hostages, killing all the men, killing a bunch of other women and children noncombatants, may have solved that problem in the short term and 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 bringing in the Cheyenne during that period. But ultimately, 
you know, it, it didn't bring it into the Indian Wars. And it, you could potentially argue that it, it – it, I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure if I would argue maybe in these circumstances. But it definitely 100 percent did deepen resentment and could have potentially protracted the war longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So th- there's multiple ways to look at this aside from um, – from what, what, how it was successful, you can definitely look at these things and how they were flawed, and 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 bring and, and understand like those moral implications yeah. are important and, and do fit into the big strategic picture. Especially when you're talking counterinsurgency. Like oh yeah, you're maintaining moral high ground is absolutely critical. I mean, it's a weapon. Um. So. Yeah. So hey, there's there's a bunch of stuff in there, and, and William, uh, like you mentioned, you know, you, you're a, you're a critical piece to developing those things so yeah go in there and check it out especially if you're not um at a major installation um or if, if you're in this area if you're in the beltway i mean there's a ton of stuff we got a bunch yeah. i live right there in fredericksburg yeah. guys we got one for that we have a few um i have a few that i'm going to start working on but it, like i said if any of you out listeners out there or units out there uh want request one yeah, please e- e- email point. myself you can find my email address for uh the Marine Corps uh, in the Marine Corps Gazette uh, for my professional ones. Yeah, so please reach out to us. We will happily do these for you. It's it's it's, it's one of my favorite parts of my job. So please nice. give me an excuse to do it. Any opportunity to geek out on military history? You made me go look at a topographic map of uh, Oklahoma. I hope you're proud of yourselves. <laughs> the more you learn. <laughs> Very proud. I'm like I lived there in Lawton. I remember there being a couple little mountains, and then it's just flat. And I'm looking just northwest of that, and it's like. For Oklahoma, it's hilly. And then what? What do we got next? We were well. Let's not rush too fast, guys. You got something else? Sit down and enjoy. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that we got back and started uh, talking about the refugees a little bit. Yes, thank you much. Um, Because you you know, bringing that back into consciousness. Don't want to lose touch of that. Kind of a little bit more of the uh, the logistics of it. We don't want to. We don't need to do the heartstrings tugging at this time. But um. I think I think there's a there's an understanding though that I would that I think is valuable. Um, you know, as Afghans are starting to um, come off of the camps and getting into town, getting into town. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we'd mentioned before, like many many of them only have the clothes on their backs. Um, but there's also a cultural issue uh, that they're now having to come to grips with. Um, you know, uh, there's a ton of trauma. Um, the immediacy of fearing for their lives is not omnipresent like it has been for the past six months or so, for like three months or so. Uh, so now they're coming to the realization of what has just happened and what they have lost. And... Um, there's uh, it's it's a very interesting dynamic because I you know from my perspective, being an American, living in America, um, that there's a sense it's it's just, it's, it's, it's a, a subconscious acceptance of American exceptionalism or a subscription to American exceptionalism uh, because we it it, it, just, it would make me think like. Yes, what happened to them is terrible, but hey, look, they're in America now, like awesome. Mm-hmm. Like there's a silver lining here, and that isn't always the case. And one of the things that I'm seeing uh, as I've been out trying to support the refugees is that, whereas in one aspect they're very grateful that they're not dead, that their families were able to make it, and that we brought them 
uh, here with, with us, but they didn't want to be in America. Uh, and they don't particularly think that like our culture is synonymous with their own or they're not mm-hmm. as willing to like accept the Western I Western worldview. And so they're in this very weird place where they're in one hand grateful, another hand very uh, they're lamenting being here. They're still very Afghan. They're still very much in a Afghan world and that's the world that they wanted to be in but that world doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. so even if they wanted to they couldn't go back to afghanistan but at the same time they're not really all that excited about being here because they just aren't well there's probably something to be said too about they've been one of the reasons why they're refugees is because they've been trying to build a better afghanistan right, there you go um and now with all that work they've been doing all that effort all that goodwill has just been tossed to the wind and they're almost killed for it they're almost killed for it they've got marks on their head they're um now they're here in the states and i think we took about thirty-seven thousand of them in um and they're all over the place like you know there's a bunch of california texas virginia maryland uh, pennsylvania like they're all over the place so these thirty-seven thousand refugees that were all once centrally located in Afghanistan there are now all over the place. They're far from any support groups they had before. They're far from their ancestral uh, homes, their families, yeah. all this other stuff. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that while we were in Afghanistan, Kabul ov- more than doubled in size yeah, I think you as people that, yeah. moved into the city and started building the city up. And now they've had to go abandon that. Um, and there could be ended up anywhere like they could be coming from you know afghanistan and then ending up in you know los angeles and just living in the smog and just they have no it's it's a huge shock well yeah i I know talking to uh the head of the family that we've been supporting you know he's just like oh it's really cold here i'm like it's really cold in Afghanistan. Like, not this time of year. It isn't dumb. Mm. So, I mean, there's even little things like that. Like, oh, we weren't ready for the cold. Well, yeah, Vic. So you've had obviously more like personal relations with uh, Afghan refugees than we have. Like, what has been like their general transition process been like so far? Well, yeah, it, it's been. I, I mean, I will say like the uh, amount of support and outpouring of generosity has been so uplifting for me to see how many people are just giving selflessly and are in like in a very authentic sort of way wanting to help. And so to that respect or in, in that aspect, I just have so much respect for everyone who is giving so generously, especially with times being the way they are on the other end of it though. There, there's just such a, like I said, this, it's this realization now that they're not having to worry about whether them and their families are going to live through the day. Now that they're in this sort of relative space of comfort, they're not coming to this deep realization of like what was actually lost and how hard it's going to be to regain that life that you had mentioned that they were trying to, and actually were at in many respects doing Mm -hmm. they're on their well on their way to building the Afghanistan that they wanted, and now that's gone. So how are they going to build a life, an Afghan life, 
here in America, which is so different than the culture that they left. And so it's just, I don't want to say there's resentment because there's definitely did not get that sense, but there is just like this unconscious talk. Like it's just, you know, uh, Ayub, who is the, the man of the house just couldn't stop talking about like how everything that he's lost. I mean, it's, he's just so traumatized by like what I lost all this stuff, and then like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's so it's so sad, and I, 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 my heart like goes out to him, and it's just, like just culturally, I mean, just look at like women issues, and he's a you know he's a pretty progressive, he's a CPA in 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 Kabul, and uh, so he's well educated, taught himself basically how to speak English, um, and but yet like where he sees. Uh, like just take like women's rights for example like it's just very different than how it is, things are here and his wife they're trying to navigate that space mm-hmm. um, so it's just yeah I, I just I can't all that is to say like their their fight is far from over now just just speculate here let's just scuttle but the world according to Nick Vick and Will um, <laughs> oh, that's a scary world yeah. would it <laughs> would it have been better to not spread them out so wide this is an interesting discussion and again history echoes right or uh, history rhymes well because you're you're part of the uh, vietnamese diaspora from uh, from from south vietnam so like how i mean because i know uh northern virginia has this great um vietnamese population in fact one of the most american patriotic things i did was i stumbled into eden center in uh arlington or Fairfax, and mm-hmm. it, I just I wanted to get like a, a bon me and you know go to <laughs> go to the go to the grocery store there, and then um, I just happened to be there on the anniversary of uh, the fall of Saigon, and they were having like you know they had big banners, American South Vietnamese flags all over the place. They had um, like live like karaoke on on speakers. So I got to listen to a bunch of old 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 men sing. <laughs> you know, beautiful songs, but it, it was destroy beautiful songs. But as, as uh, <laughs> anyways, but, but like as a historian who, uh, especially a military historian who has like a, a particular interest in the Vietnam War, it, it was it's, it was crazy to see like the the real effects um, of of war and how it's affected and how like this community um, of Vietnamese in in Northern Virginia has has grown up and it's interesting to see you walk around and you see the building that. Um, that is like a tax consultant for all, and I like I imagine they probably do all the tax consulting for all the Vietnamese businesses for in Northern sure. Virginia, and like how they're able to build this self-sustained, strong, vibrant community it was in, was yeah. incredible. So, um, do you feel like that's? It, do you think the Af- Afghans have that same opportunity, or do you think they have? Is that going to have to build themselves? Do you feel this yeah, is going to sound go so? Yeah, this is going to sound like really cliche, but the one thing about America and for all of our our idiosyncrasies, there is always that opportunity. Um, you know, the Afghans will be coming from a very rigid sort of s- social structure into a very fluid one by comparison. Um, so, yes, short answer is yes, there is the opportunity. The reality on the ground, though, is I'm not certain. So um, where, and this is going to really, this this could be an entire uh, podcast series, but so one of the things you look at uh, when you look at the difference between like immigrants and refugees. So 
if you look at an immigrant community, say like the Koreans, um, who uh, were refugees, some were refugees, some were immigrants. So some of the South Koreans that came over came over with the like the professional class, like they were journalists, educators, doctors, lawyers, blah blah blah. And they were coming over as, in, in a sort of very welcome fashion because they were either going to learn here and go back or they were going to come here and then integrate into the professional elite of the society. Then you had the war, and so you end up with a large refugee. But there was already an established, like you said, like a diaspora of Koreans. Then you get the Vietnamese community that like almost overnight – it's just gone. Like, and the Vietnamese had no intention mm-hmm. of doing any sort of American integration as much as they may have loved the West's music and music and all these and, and that sort of pop culture stuff. They were very happy having that in Vietnam, Saigon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, all of a sudden they just show up here and it's like, all right, what's next? Yeah, and largely in two places too, just Virginia and California for the Vietnamese. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so and, and, and yeah. If, if I'm if history if I am understanding or remembering history correctly, there was a very concerted effort to not have enclaves, um, because of the already where you saw the Chinese, you saw you know, Chinese in San Francisco and New York, yeah. Korean New York and parts of Orange County, California. Um, you know, blah blah, and then so what? So you had a, a, I think it was an intentional dispersion of the diaspora, mm-hmm. but one of the things that facilitated that was is that because Vietnam had been a colonial country for you know prior to Ho Chi Minh for almost a century between European powers, there was a ton of Western Western edu- like their their society was predicated on a Western education. You know, going to University of Paris and, and the French coming over, then tons of missionaries. The Afghans aren't going to have that because the Taliban had basically closed them off to the world, and so their education system and their their um, professional academic elites all fled when the Taliban took over because that's who the Taliban were gunning for—the graybeards and the smart people—because that's how they could hold on to power. Um, and so all of those folks are already dispersed. So when, where then, and then there's no enclave because it's just a small group of them. So where are these folks going to go? And is America going to attempt? One of the things they did with the Vietnamese is there was a labor shortage for doctors and lawyers and stuff. And so as these folks came over, like, my, like when we first started, my family, my family, we, we, my family was in like Kansas. They were in Missouri. They were in Delaware. They were in parts that needed doctors. They needed lawyers. Those are some pretty choice states. Right, and and so it wasn't necessarily like, you know, on the cover of travel guides and stuff, but at the same time, it was a way to get off the refugee camp, get your nationalization, and then be part. But what ends up happening is they get comfortable, start having children. Family is such a massive thing for the East that they just naturally – all came together, and then you end up with places like Garden Grove, Westminster, California. Um, you end up with uh, a lot of the manual labor folks go to Louisiana and Baton Rouge, uh, and Mississippi, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, to do shrimping out that way. Like you said, Northern Virginia, a uh, ton of academics and stuff out here. So then you just, just through integration and assimilation, they all just end up coming back together. Yeah. And so you end up with these places that have these large. I actually lived in Westminster. Dude, it's amazing. <laughs> my mom lives there now. Um, I I don't know if it's true or not, but my neighbors said that the Westminster, California, has the second most Vietnamese people in the world, 
after I think Vietnam. That, I think that's right. And like, so. so for my, my grandparents, they never learned English. Yeah. They didn't have to because the encl- you know the enclave was already there. Um, and I mean, there's TV, yeah. uh, there's radio, there's everything you need is in Vietnamese. Yeah. So, so, so to, I guess to round out this discussion, um, aside from like donating like uh, money and resources and such, like what uh, can your average American uh, dude such as myself or or Nick or what yeah. what can we do or is that is it you know is it I'd say take I'd it with time yeah I say patience like uh, just empathy and patience and just understand that like there's so much trauma right now uh, as as these refugees are coming to grips with their new reality and there's fear mm-hmm. across the board and just I don't know just try to understand. Like, just, you, you, could you just yeah. imagine if, like, America were to fall? And even if you were to go to Canada, like Which that... Which is kind of the, what happened in Afghanis. Most of them are going into Pakistan. So. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, like, there's, a, like, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. Yeah. I think Turkey's taking on a bunch. Mm-hmm. It, but it's just, it, it's just the culture shock and the sadness around mm-hmm. where they're at and, and what's happening. So, I mean, as much... And, like, don't take... If you, so if you come into contact with a refugee and they're just not like, like just put expectations at the door and just humble your hum, let's humble ourselves and be patient and and show empathy. It's not that they don't appreciate it; they very much do. They're just so sad mm-hmm. and hurt and traumatized by all of what's happened, and they just don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or how they're going to, like you mentioned recapture the Afghanistan that they wanted now that it's been absolutely obliterated. <laughs> just, yeah. It's just so sad. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll try and keep tabs with what's going on in Afghanistan as well. Like I hear the Taliban struggling right now with basic, Dude, basic government <laughs> functions. I mean... <laughs> that was a given. That was yeah, I was about to say, yeah. it was like, you know, it, it was like, it was uh, predictable. Yeah, and it's what everyone warned against, and yeah. So now, they're in a practically a civil war with uh, the new Al Qaeda offshoot, or the new ISIS offshoot in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're in a dogfight, and they're not providing essential services or governance of any sort. I was listening to, what was I listening to? Was it Jocko? I care. I was listening to another podcast, the one that you shouldn't listen to because just listen to ours. Um, <laughs> or we'll just relay what they say. Over here <laughs> yeah. We'll just relay. Have to listen to the whole thing. I can't remember. Okay, I can't remember who I was listening to, but I like to do some field market research, and uh, they were talking about the situation in Afghanistan, how there's like no less than six different entities now suddenly trying to fight for control of the country. So, like, it's not going to get better before it gets worse. Well, and then I mean, China and Russia are going to. I mean. They're, they're already. Have to pick their, they're gonna have to pick their proxies. Yeah, they're already in that. They're already sticking their fingers in there, from what I can well, hear. Dude, so. I mean, oh. and, and yeah. I think I'm saying this hyperbolically, but I, th- there might actually be some truth to it. But I remember uh, when we fir- when I was in Afghanistan and, and uh, Obama announced that we were pulling out. Like, I want to say satellite imagery had showed like all of these construction companies like literally piling up on the border, like waiting for us to leave so they could go. <laughs> And pill for the mines and stuff. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, not surprised. It's so weird that China has a border that touches Afghanistan. Yeah. It's just so weird. Um, you don't think of it that way. Maybe if you don't look at a map enough. 
Um, I have a big one in my office, so maybe I'm. I, I have. It's the, like this the, little the finger that reaches out and is like, "I'm not touching you." Well, but the I thing am. that's going to be interesting about that aspect of it too is, is that you, you know, we, and I, I'm not even going to try to say the name because I, I'll butcher it. But the Muslim, the Chinese Muslims that are being uh, oh, oppressed, the, the, the Uyghurs. Yeah, thank you. Uh, by the Chinese, I wonder how that's going to play when the Chinese start to then treat and work with the Afghan Muslims, but yet continue to basically commit genocide against their yeah, own. Yeah, that's something I I, I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, as as much as a rocky relationship the United States has with um, the Muslim world, you could argue, like I I obviously obviously you know I, I don't follow this too poorly, but like radical Islam. At what point are they going to start looking at China and be like, yeah. maybe, you know, we have a grudge against you now? Just on the the very nature of it feels like they're they've got to be right there, right? Because I feel I, I feel like, and this obviously is nothing official, but I want to say that one of the things that we were talk that at least we were talking scuttlebutt <laughs> amongst us when we were in Afghanistan was is that how we did those Chinese Muslims such a disservice because the Taliban was primed to start trying to alleviate some of their oppression. Mm -hmm. But then obviously us being in there, they had to refocus their efforts, but they had an intention of make taking their um, jihad global Mm -hmm. and not just focusing on the West only. But yeah, I think that's a huge. So was it our fault or was it bin Laden's fault? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So it's just, it's a lot of, it's everyone's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the easy cop out. That's yeah. honestly probably the most honest. Yeah, all the yeah, like we all were, the dominoes like fell. Like we were saying earlier, man. It's like if one thing that the human experience has taught us is that we're all equally stupid. <laughs> In the end game, yes. Moment to moment, I like to think I'm a slightly above moments. average. We have, we have our moments. I think, I, I, think I roll a 51 I, out of 49. You, you can work a computer <laughs> better than Thomas Jefferson. I'll give you that. <laughs> you don't know that. If you pluck Thomas Jefferson out of uh, 1804 and dropped him right here next to me, he'd probably pick it up pretty quick. Or have a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here in the, in the scuttlebutt office? <laughs> All my friends are dead. <laughs> All my friends are dead. When you said scuttlebutt, I thought I was going on ship to stand around yeah. and talk about Getting my rum. Yeah, what the hell is this? There's a that's the Potomac River. I know what that is. <laughs> Nothing else makes sense. <laughs> oh, we're losing our view of the Potomac River, uh, folks. Oh, we don't care, but it's seventy nine million dollar eyesore. No, it's gonna uh, be a fantastic facility. It's gonna be modern and it's gonna be great in every way, and then they're gonna be like, What the hell is this Marine Corps Association doing in the shadow yeah. of our we need more parking. glorious wargaming center? Yeah. Tear it down. I wish they would. I just let's just kick us out. Like, we need to rip this Band-Aid. What are we um, do, do this thing out of a tent? What are you talking about? <laughs> we have to rebuild this There's buildings s- all over the place. <laughs> just squat. <laughs> <laughs> maintenance clause. I shouldn't be saying that. Okay. Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> the opinions expressed on this podcast are not those of the Marine Corps Association. Done. Um, you guys got anything else you want to throw into the he- ring here? Oh, I've talked way too much already. That's impossible. We're not even at. We're not even at fifty minutes yet. Well, this is a nice, you know, touch base. Yeah. Hear, hear our voices. Do a we, little round table. Yeah, we do do work behind the scenes. Do also, do. if you have any ideas, our dear listeners, if uh, for topics you'd like us to cover, you know, please feel free to message us at any of our uh, 
um, emails address available on the Marine Corps Association website and in the Gazette. So and Twitter and Twitter. We have a Twitter. We have a yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Like Scuttlebutt or Marine Corps Association. Oh, oh the Marine Corps Association. But yeah, you can hit us up on any of the Marine if Corps. If we want to start a uh, shift the Scuttlebutt have its own Twitter account, let us know on the Marine Corps Association Twitter account. Hit us up. Um, and then we'll think about it. We'll stick Liz on it. Oh, I should mention um, the uh, ba- battle study packages were built basically by Liz and Abby and Harley. I think Will, you helped. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, before Vic got involved. Yeah. Um, so I'll make sure that all their names are mentioned as well. Um, and we're not giving Will all the credit. No, no. <laughs> no I just like most the uh, <laughs> The learning outcomes, not uh, like actually putting it together. Yeah. That would that would require me to learn how to use a computer. <laughs> and we already know that probably better than Thomas Jefferson. but <laughs> Probably. Probably. Given time. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. All right. Thanks, Scott, guys. All right. Take it easy. See you.